listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since Welcome to the GGTMC. We are back on the air. We are. Some of us are in uh, bedrooms in our homes. Some of us are in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, full disclosure, Large William this week is is a. Uh, let's just say he's. Well, he's you know he's out and about. He's in a in a cottage. Welcome back, Mister Cottage. Yeah, no, no doubt, man. It's uh, I'm perpetuating like if. If people just saw where I am, and if there's a video call, they'd think, like, wow, that is Canada. There's trees everywhere. <laughs> in the middle of the woods. Yeah. And some strange reason, there's a lady over in the corner of the woods making pancakes. <laughs> like, how's she doing that? <laughs> Talk about perpetuating a myth. All right. Uh, okay, so we are back. And this week, we have our uh, Diabolic DVD-sponsored episode. It was uh, Large Williams Picks this week and uh he selected uh videodrome from 1983 uh i always have a hard time believing that that that, that film's that old and uh the raid from 2011 rather uh popular film among the community we'll see what we thought about it uh let's see here i think that's about all i got really i mean i don't have a whole lot to go over in the intro uh yeah that's it that would be it. So let's just get into what we've been watching and hope, with all hopes, that our connection stays strong. <laughs> yeah, because it's tenuous um, at best. Because it's, of the, It sounds good right now, though, I have to say. Oh, you just see, it's like we had a no-hitter and you just mentioned it, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Fuck me. And I'm holding my phone a certain way as if that's helping, but, you know, we'll see. So far, so good. All right. Um, so my week, uh, well, it wasn't, uh, overly bountiful, but there was some good stuff in there. Uh, started the week off with, um, planet rock, the story of hip hop and the crack generation. Uh, it was a documentary I stumbled on through YouTube. Um, ironically, when I was trying to look up the name of the Peter Gage and limelight documentary, I found this like in the similar, you know, the similar tab or whatever it is. Um, it was all right. It was made by VH1 for VH1. So it takes a very specific slant, uh, as far as, um, um, uh, you know, it, what it's saying and it kind of glamorizes some of the hip hop guys that came up at the time, Wu Tang, um, Jay-Z, I see some of the guys and, and it kind of glamorizes the, the whole crack, uh, crack dealing aspect. Mm-hmm. Uh, romanticizes it a bit. Um, there is certainly some interesting stuff in there, and you know, I think if it had been made by an independent uh, person, it, it could have been a, quite a fascinating documentary. Um, I thought it was going to focus more on just uh, that time, but it kind of goes from then to now, so not bad. Uh, continued my now ongoing foray into Hong Kong film of the 70s and 80s that I have not seen. 
Um, and I did Long Arm of the Law. This is a film that is uh, amongst people that really, really dig Hong Kong films. Um, it's celebrated as one of the greatest Hong Kong films that no one talks about. Uh, and I know Hero Never Dies and a few other people are, are pretty big fans of it. Um, so I watched it. it. It's sort of reminiscent of Don't Play With Fire, the Choi Hawk film. Um, it was about four mainland guys, mainland China. They go to Hong Kong to, to commit a robbery. Things go very bad. Um, they try to make things right by doing something else, and it gets worse and worse and worse. And uh, the film is quite good, despite featuring uh, primarily non uh, like inexperienced actors. So I don't think it's quite worth the acclaim that I'd heard, but... I, I would like to rewatch it, and there is a Blu-ray of it, so I, I might drop it on the show at some point because there's a few sequences in it. I was like, man, I would like, like uh, Sammy to see this, so mm, nice. we'll get it on the show. I'm still trying to wrangle an Asian sponsor. Sweet. Okay, you're still there. I didn't know if I was. Yeah, you don't know. Uh... I'll give you a heads up. <laughs> okay, cool, cool. Uh, then and I did another Louis Thoreau. I did the City Addicted to Meth, <laughs> and uh, this is about Fresno, California, and meth. Um, yeah, dirty drug, man. Dirty drug. It's uh, it's pretty crazy to see some of the shit people do. Um, you know, having dabbled in uh, in drugs uh, recreationally uh, myself as a as a youngster, I'm just thankful that I never smoked meth or rocks. Um, so yeah, less less said about that, the better. But uh, don't do meth, guys, unless you want no teeth and sores all over your body. Yeah, yeah, bad news. Uh, Bad news bears, man. Um, then I decided to rewatch a film that I'd found it was on HD on Netflix. Um, Nicholas Wheel, right over at the uh, the Silver and Gold boards, had mentioned. I think he had mentioned that it was on. He'd watched on Netflix and HD. It's Yes, Madam, the Michelle Yeoh, um, Cynthia Rothrock joint, the female buddy cop film, uh, ironically starring Choi Hawk as well, which is, you know, he did a few films in that time. It's uh, it's pretty fantastic, man. Uh, I saw it, I mean, for God, probably 15 years ago, and it's uh, it's really good. Um, some really unfortunate women's fashion in it, but, uh, <laughs> I mean, really unfortunate. Again, this one, uh, I'd like to maybe, if this has a, a Blu-ray, I wouldn't mind doing it on the show. It's it, the, the end fight with uh, the incredible... The wonderfully named Dick Way, uh, who was a you know pretty prominent Hong Kong villain at the time, he busted. I think he busted busted Cynthia Rockstar's jaw making this film. So, but nice. uh, anyway, good film. Um, then it was family movie night. We did the Secret of Kells, or Secret of the Kells, uh-huh. which is an animated film. Uh, it almost looks like um, like uh, uh, I don't know, sort of like a a, a Klimt painting come to life. I mean, it's some ways the way it's kind of patchwork and and stuff um quite good though uh and that's it that was my week nice nice well some interesting stuff in there to say the least yeah it was varied you know yep all right uh get quite a few things in this week myself uh watched um indie game the movie this one uh this one's about you know in uh well it's about indie games it's about uh independent gaming uh little small games they make on like playstation network and xbox live and those little communities and stuff and it follows about three or four different uh development teams 
And uh, usually these development teams consist of one to two people, not very big development teams at all, but uh, trying to break into the video game business. But, you know, if these guys hit, they can make a lot of money because there's, you know, hardly any real cost to their game. And uh, it was really interesting. I liked it quite a bit um, because it's a world, you know, you just don't see a lot. Um, this, you know, world of guys that <laughs> it's funny. I say world, don't see a lot, but it's this world of uh, guys that, uh, just, you know, stay in the house all the time and are developing games and, you know, it's long, long hours and coding and coding, coding. Um, if you're into video games, uh, definitely recommend it. Uh, if not, it's still pretty interesting stuff because you can't see what these guys have to go through. It's a lot of pressure. Is Netflix or, uh, no, I rented this one off Amazon instant video, but it's, it's out there on, it's out there on all the, uh, the uh, rental streaming services. I'm sure it'll probably pop up on Netflix pretty soon. Sounds uh, sounds interesting. Yeah, yeah. So it's just you know something totally different. So um, then I watched uh, another documentary called Last Days Here. Uh, we watch a lot of documentaries at the GGTMC. <laughs> <laughs> um, this one's about uh, Bobby Liebling and uh, Pentagram. Uh, for those of you familiar with Pentagram, you probably don't need a whole lot of backstory on this one. For those of you not Pentagram's kind of a very influential band that never really made it uh, maybe as much as they should have or deserve to. Um, and this kind of goes over some of the things and the reasons why. Mostly what this is, though, is a seriously strong deterrent for <laughs> don't do drugs, kids. That's one of these type of films. Talk about something else that you're talking about, about meth being a nasty drug. I mean, this one's, you're talking about Bobby Liebling. This is a guy that's been smoking crack religiously for 30 plus years, almost 40 years now. Jesus, how is he alive? Nobody knows how he's alive. That's the thing about Bobby Liebling. Nobody knows how he's alive. <laughs> does he look like just complete dog shit now? He looks awful. Yes, he does. Oh, I, God. Yeah, I, I, there's some, seriously, there's some moments in this film that are so gross that it's, it's, there's some moments in this film that are more gross than anything out of a Cronenberg film. Ugh. And it's, it's, it's real body horror. And yeah. it, it'll, it, it's pretty disgusting. Uh, but it, 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 you know, I think it's good that it's out there because it's a pretty strong deterrent for, uh, you know, major drug use and and other things and stuff. And it, it's it's interesting. Uh, you get into the world of enabling and and uh, things like that. And uh, it's not so much about the band as much as it's about Bobby Liebling. But if you th- if you know about the band Pentagram, it's mostly Bobby Liebling anyway. He wrote most of the songs. So, but uh, I wish they would have went more into the music. But hey. It is what it is. It's interesting though. It, it, you know, I just I don't understand how this guy is still alive. This is one of those guys that you know, I just don't I don't get it. I mean, there's some people that do drugs twice and can't make it, and this guy does drugs for forty years plus and hard drugs, not not this simple drugs. We're talking heroin and crack. I mean, this guy does hard hard drugs, and he's done them every day for thirty and forty years plus. And you know, I don't know what he's doing now, but uh, that much addiction. Uh, I would say is eventually going to probably be his downfall, right? So, anyway, good stuff. Uh, not great. Don't think it'll be on my top 30, but uh, no, actually, it won't be on my top 30, but good stuff. And, of course, I am biased because I do like Pentagram a lot. Um, was going to play some this week, but I decided to go with something else instead. Anyway, uh, we then watched, uh, moved over to a film totally different, little 21 Jump Street. Um, with the Tatum. Yeah, with the Tatum <laughs> and the Hill. Uh, this is a good movie. It's uh, it was fun. Uh, that, that's my uh, review, my dog zom review. I had fun with it. No, uh, just uh, no kidding aside. It is it is a good movie. Uh, 
it's not as funny as I kind of wanted it to be, but it is good. I mean, it's, I don't know, six to six and a half, somewhere there. But uh, there's some moments that are really, really funny. And there was one I was going to tell you about that I, that I remembered that was also funny that we were joking around about because we were laughing about some of the funny parts in the film when we were talking on the phone the other night. But I can't remember it off. Oh, yeah. The part where Channing Tatum says he can't figure out this high school. He goes, I blame Glee. Yeah. <laughs> That's a pretty funny line. There's some funny moments in the in the film, and there's some funny lines and stuff. But it's it's not it's not groundbreaking, but it is entertaining. Um, and I, you know, I I like the action comedy genre. I mean, I liked Pineapple Express a couple years ago. Uh, it's better than this, but I would agree. I, I actually think quite Pineapple Express, despite being a little bit overlong, is quite good. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, it is. It is way too long, right? It, it, I agree with you totally on that. Outside of it being a little long, it is really solid film um then i moved over to another espn 30 for 30 because we were kind of chit-chatting that night about 21 jump street and then you brought up the tim richmond documentary to the limit and i was like you know what i haven't watched that one yet either so i went ahead and queued it up it's only about an hour long it talks about tim richmond um the nascar driver now nascar's not a sport i'm into even though i am in the south and it's pretty much bred into us um but it uh, it is an interesting world because it's a good old boys club, and uh, it's been that way for years. And then this Tim Richmond guy comes along, who's all Hollywood and craziness, and you know loves the women and the ladies and the drugs, and you know, and doing this in the eighties, you run the risk of what Tim Richmond ended up passing away from. So, jeez, talking to see another guy, drugs, man. Yeah, well, drugs and was sex. he was he actually from like California? Uh, no, I think he's from Ashland, Ohio. So he's a Midwest guy. He's kind of on the fringe of the South. Yep. 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 You can say that. Um, but it's good. It's good. So, you know, it's like I say, it's only an hour long, but it's it's a good one. It kind of looks at, uh, you know, I guess you can take it one way or the other. I mean, you know, I guess you could say it's self-destructive, but I don't think it was self-destructive as much as a guy that was looking for a good time all the time. Mm. He was going to live life to the, you know, to the, to the fullest. So you could say that, or you got to remember he had no kids, no wife, no nothing. So really, he wasn't hurting anybody. So I don't know. I guess it's interesting. Although there is some controversy over what happened to him after he was diagnosed with AIDS. So oh, AIDS too. Fuck. Yeah. Well, that's the that's that's where he had all the fun. <laughs> oh, he had a lot of fun. Yeah. In the eighties, <laughs> when you live on a yacht and you wear a speedo ninety percent of your time off. <laughs> yeah that's in the 80s <laughs> as much as that's a formula for a good time that's uh fucking that's russian roulette with your cock man in the 80s yes in the early 80s when uh age was supposedly you know remember they called it gay cancer i remember they called it gay cancer when i was a kid oh god yeah that's what they called it when i was a kid and i remember th- people saying oh you don't have to worry about that unless you're homosexual i'm like well that's <laughs> that ended up not being the truth did it that sounds so fucking stupid. Yeah, like, I know. That in hindsight, people actually bought that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of those things, right? I mean, gay cancer. Yeah, I know. It's so ridiculous. But the, again, you know, that's that's stupidity for you. Um, and then I finished off my week with a little Comic Con episode four, Fans Hope. Now this is a uh, Morgan Spurlock documentary, and I'm not a big Morgan Spurlock fan. I liked supersize me a little bit um but usually he's in his films and uh, i don't know i just don't really find him very interesting i find him kind of goofy um 
this is definitely his best film for me. Uh, I really like this one. Oh, uh, seriously? Wow. Yeah, he he. Uh, this one he's kind of just kind of capturing the uh, the world of um, of Comic Con and uh, kind of giving a glimpse into people who don't know what it's like to be there and what it, and you know what all that what it's all about and stuff and and even though some of it is kind of late to the ball game. I mean, I guess you could say because you know we all kind of know a little bit about Comic Con at this point and yeah. And everything, uh, there's still some interesting, uh, interesting, uh, I guess, points made. Like he follows one of the owners of a, like one of the largest comic book companies in uh, in America, and how that you know he's going there and he's been going there for thirty something years, and he talks about how Comic Con isn't really about comic books at all anymore. I mean, it's almost all pop culture and and movies now, and it's been that way now for like the last ten fifteen years, but. Um, with the rise of the internet, I think that really factors into why. Yeah, yeah, and it's a lot about you know that kind of stuff, uh, movies, pop culture, just anything to you know sell the movie. I mean, you get everything at Comic Con now. You get everything from Expendables two panels to panels about TV shows that have been canceled. Now that's always been a part of comic book conventions and and like horror conventions and stuff. You know, like a Star Trek panel or something like that. But it's just so prevalent now, and it's just so pervasive that. You know, comics have kind of taken a a back seat, and there's a lot of there's a lot of interviews with people that uh, you know celebrities they'll even say sometimes. Uh, some people don't even know comic books are at Comic Con, which is just insane when you think about it. <laughs> yeah, it almost feels too like a play on words, um, if I may. That the bigger Comic Con get, that it's almost like Comic Con C A N N E S. Like it, it seems to almost be the elite thing for fanboys. Yeah, you know, yep. much like Con in the in the south of France uh, is for, for certain uh, cinephiles and right. celebrities. Right, right. It's a, uh, it's really good though. Uh, I really dug it, and uh, it's an interesting look at that world. Of course, I've always wanted to go, so I have a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a, a weakness for it to begin with. But I did think the film was very interesting, and I like some of the things it did, even though some of it seemed. Kind of like you know, oh okay, I can see where this is going to go. I mean, you see, you know, it's a documentary, but you can kind of see what Spurlock's doing. You know, he follows a couple people who met at Comic Con. He follows uh, some other things, but you do get a, you do get a sense of uh, just how popular Kevin Smith is at Comic Con. Oh yeah, he's, a, he's almost the like sea, man. yeah, he's almost like the the Elvis of uh, Comic Con. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely the late seventies Elvis of Comic Con. Yeah, the, the fried peanut butter and banana sandwich Elvis. Yeah. But, you know, what I always say about Kevin Smith, you know, I don't love his films as much anymore, and I never thought he was a great filmmaker. I always thought he was a... Uh, uh, he had his films. I, yeah. I, I like him. I mean, I, yeah. I, you know. I always thought he had good films and, and you know, nothing nothing fancy, but I've always liked him. Um, but what I will say about him, as a public speaker, he's always been fascinating. Definitely. He's very, very good at, at public speaking and uh, public humiliation. You know, he has no problem with, you know, and not in a sexual sense. Yeah. <laughs> Even though he'll say anything. It's just amazing some of the stuff yeah. he says. So uh, he's always entertaining that way. But uh, no, it was good. It was it was really good. Check it out if you have any interest in that. And uh, hopefully one day I'll make it to Comic-Con. I know Miles went this year, and I haven't had a chance to talk to him. But uh, you know we'll be talking to him soon. I can't wait to talk to him about it a little bit, see what he thought. So I know Felipe. Didn't Felipe and D.Z. go one year? And then, I don't know. I can't remember now. I can't, it seems like it. it. Seems like it. I can't remember though. But anyway, uh looking forward to going someday. 
maybe taking my son, maybe if he's into comics, if he's into whatever, I guess pop culture of any sort. I mean, I'm not going to push it on him, but you know, if he if he says one day, "Hey, Dad, I'd like to go to a comic book convention," I'm going to say, "Hey, well, I know just the one." <laughs> yeah, at that point, hopefully we'll be able to swing our dicks enough to get press passes. <laughs> The Comic Con. This way, the kids can uh, all access for the boys, yeah. for the bambinos. <laughs> but that's all I watched. That's it. Uh, outside the two movies, so I got some stuff in this week. Yeah, little, nice. Long work week. So, ugh. yeah, that's good. But I didn't have to work an extra day this week. So there we go. It's uh, it's great. As an aside, I'm on Skype on my phone. So when I call you, the picture I get is uh the gentleman's guide to midnight cinema vhs cover oh, yes. <laughs> awesome one that uh was done for us by mike um and uh, yeah i'm looking very dicasco-esque <laughs> you're just kitted up to the tits with yeah. you know i think an ak and you just <laughs> fucking body arm like a just riot squad gear yeah, but i have enough time to throw on my uk hat and that, uh... you got the uk hat on man <laughs> It's good stuff. The only thing I don't have is my, uh, I need to have my Oakleys on. But the, uh, uh, yeah, you always reminded me of, uh, in that photo, we, we we joke about it, but you always reminded me of, uh, what's what's his name? Oh, Don the Dragon Wilson. Yeah. <laughs> Sadly, though, I don't have a silk shirt on for that, but <laughs> but the tank top is pretty tight, bro. Yeah. And sadly, that wouldn't have been far off 10 years ago from a tank top I would have wore. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> would have had hair like Don the Dragon, too. <laughs> Oh, flowing locks of Don the Dragon. We can get some Don the Dragon Wilson on the GGTMC. We haven't done any Don the Dragon. We gotta get some Don the Dragon Wilson, man. He's uh, he's fantastic. Yes, he is a lot of fun. All right, uh, so we are going to take a break and come back. And uh, what do you want to talk about first here? Uh, let's do the raid. Well, let's do the raid first. All right, sounds good. We're going to take a short break. Be right back after this. Hi, this is Chris. And this is Frank. And we are from the Are You Serious podcast, and we are here with... Han Solo. I'm Captain Millennium Falcon. I think that's awesome, but I also think that I could do the same thing. What are you talking about? It's just great to have you here and to be able to talk to you, even with all the stuff I've said. Don't shoot it. So I guess just to let people know, we, we cover movies, video games, and we talk about politics, TV, and uh, people who bother us. Basically, we just skewer pop culture in general. I got a bad feeling about this. I think the show is awesome. You should think it's awesome, too. Don't get excited. Frank can get a little full of himself sometimes. I know. The Are You Serious Podcast is available on iTunes and at areyouseriouspodcast.com. music from our good friend scott burton there well euro crime jam there nice <laughs> all right so our first film of the day is uh the raid 2011 gareth evans do you want me to synopsize these or sure yeah because if, if i a... start uh <laughs> getting too cute with my uh, bandwidth 
We know what's going to happen. Yeah. Okay, so this is from 2011, like I said, also known as Serbuan Mwat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sammy could pass for a local. So could I. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, with the amount of sweat these guys have, maybe I could. <laughs> This is, this is a sweaty movie, man. It is. Uh, okay, so the basic plot synopsis, a SWAT team becomes trapped in a tenement run by a ruthless mobster and his army of killers and thugs. And, uh, you know, that's pretty accurate because uh, this is a pretty simple setup. Uh, this is very much like a, uh, well, it's almost like a video game setup in a way. I mean, you know, you got levels and, and things like that. And it's been compared to that a little bit, but we'll see what we thought of it. Uh, do you want to take the lead on this? you want me to take the lead? What do you want to do? Uh, I'll take a lead. I'll take the lead on if uh, sure. if you're okay with that. Totally fine with it. All right. So, yeah. Um, like we said, this is our diabolic episode. So, thank you to Diabolic as always. Um, this was uh, Tiff last year. This is almost a year later. We're finally, finally, finally getting to see this film. Um, it was the film I wanted to see the most at Tiff last year, mm-hmm. above all else, and the film I wanted to see above all before we did our year end show. But it wasn't to be. Um, you know, we had to wait and wait and wait. And we're finally here, thankfully. So um, it's nice to to finally get a chance to review it. Um, it's also nice to kind of come full circle as far as our show goes and have an Indonesian action film on the show. Yes. Yes. Because I think it can maybe get lost in the shuffle a bit that this is the... You know, the son of, uh, you know, Stabilizer and films like that. Um, so it's it's pretty cool. And I'd thought a, a long time ago, I think it's a, I'd made a tenuous link that I thought um, Evans for some reason was from New Zealand, not Wales. Because Gareth Evans, the director of this, and Marantau, which is also a good film. Um, it's on Netflix Instant, for those of you that want to check it out. A little taste of uh, what the raid's all about. Uh, they can do that. A lot of the same principles including Eco Ua, I think that's how you say his name. Yeah, he's in uh, uh, he's in that film, he's in this film, and he's in Gareth Evans' next film. And same with Joe Tazlim, I know, uh, who's actually going to be in Fast and the Furious 6. Nice. So I'm pretty excited for that. Um, uh, and I think a few others are from Marantau as well. Um, but I thought that it was ironic that Gareth Evans, this uh, New Zealander, had brought life to Indonesian action films, much like Peter O'Brien had done 30 years earlier. Yes. But it, it wasn't quite because Gareth Evans was from Wales. But nonetheless. <laughs> um, so this this film, I think the, the, the measuring stick, having seen it and having seen Marantau, uh, is really Hong Kong 80s cinema. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's really what you can compare this to because I don't think, as much as you and I love... American action cinema and it's so ingrained in our chi- our childhoods if I take my heart out and I love uh, American action cinema there's really no comparison to Hong Kong as far as the stunt work the action the bullets I mean Asia and just was the the the, the leader uh, in that in the 80s yes Yes, I mean we we it's it's really in a way, in a weird way it's almost two different genres uh of action. Uh, and I think you know you saw Asian cinema actually, you know when Robert Rodriguez came along and, and Desperado's a great example of this. Uh 
Yes. You saw Asian cinema really bleed into American cinema with the Wachowskis and Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino. Huge. These, these guys that grew up watching Asian cinema, that's where it all, you know, it all kind of comes from. And, you know, Gareth Evans is another one of these guys. He's He just happens to be actually making Asian cinema. <laughs> but, In Asia. Yeah, but, uh, you know, you do, you do see that. And it is almost two different genres because American 80s action is really – just about big. I mean, that's all it is. I mean, really, the, if there's one word to describe 80s action, it's big. Everything had to be big. The stars had to be big. The guns had to be big. The semi-trucks they drove had to be big. <laughs> <laughs> Everything had to be big, whereas uh, Hong Kong films, they didn't ever, they, they were always more intimate, right? So mm-hmm. that's that was always the difference, I think. And then, you know, the two have kind of cross-pollinated now. Yeah, they have. I mean, there certainly are some elements uh, in this that feel very Western, which, you know, especially in this day and age when you're a genre cinema fan with the access that we have, you're going to see that cross-pollination continue. It's much like with music now as I get older and I hear the influence of electronic music in top 40 music or in hip-hop or in rock or anything. It's always interesting now to hear that because I was there when there was a, a clear distinction between the two. So yes. I think when you see that cinematically, it, it's fascinating when you see it at work in the hands of a skilled filmmaker Mm -hmm. um one interesting thing that happened while i was watching this film was um because you know we have the blues as we said i will come right out and say and you and i had said this to each other on the phone the blue is not sort of the uh it it will never be the showcase blue to convince someone to jump into you know committing to blu-ray um but it doesn't need to be this the 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 people that made this film evans etc clearly put the money into the stunts and the action and not into using the greatest camera of all time. It's not to say it looks bad. It looks like a very good DVD, but you're, like I said, you're, it's not Speed Racer, speaking of the Wachowskis, so Yeah. It's interesting the choice he decided to go with to make this very drab looking. Yeah, it's got a, a really... A really um, the color palette is uh, very gray, very black, uh, with some kind of... Um, rotted kind of uh, earthy tones like browns and and tans and stuff it's uh it's certainly not a colorful film and it, it's a good thing it's not i mean it really lends itself well to being a like sort of a rundown tenement building which is the the backdrop for all this but um i kind of digressed it because I was gonna, what i was going to say was i don't know if you've ever seen this not really buying as many dvds as i used to uh, maybe i, I it's on my trend i've just never not been privy to because i don't watch as many dvds uh video game trailers at the beginning of this yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, this is uh, this is a good example of uh, this film. I think is not only a good example of Hong Kong cinema or Asian cinema influence on uh, pop culture in, in the cinema world, but also uh, video game influence because this film is very uh, video. It's 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 set up like a video game. Yeah, let's be honest. I mean, you got all of the the if if you think about it, let's think about a classic game like Double Dragon. Yeah. Uh, and a classic film at that. Yeah, man. <laughs> Fucking Robert Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> Doing his best to be on the GGTMC Hall of Fame. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, um, if you think about it, though, it is like that because you got all these minions uh, so who are kind of like uh, fodder for your uh, you know, your experience and everything so you can get through the, f- the game. And then you got a couple boss characters. Um, uh and you got you got a main boss. Now it's not completely like a video game because it doesn't really kind of play itself out that way. But it is kind of set up, and you can kind of see that this is kind of our influence. 
you know, kind of the influence of video games on film. I'd, I'd imagine Gareth Evans probably, he's a younger man, so I'd imagine he's probably played a few video games in his day. And, and, and video games are also a very strong, they were very, very strongly influenced by Asian, Asian culture. Obviously, yeah. they pretty much originate from there, but if you think about, you know, a lot of action fighting games, they're very Asian in, in nature. Martial arts based. And- yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of a you know it's kind of interesting to see this all develop as you know I've gotten older. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not talking about when I say this I'm not talking about video game movies which are a totally different genre of of film that <laughs> can be <laughs> atrocious. But uh it, you know the, the influence of games on <coughs> film and I, I would I'd be hard pressed for anybody to tell me that this isn't you know the video games aren't a strong influence on this film. Yeah, I'd like to see someone try to debate that. Because there's moments in this. I Actually, it's funny because there's a moment when I said to my wife, I, I've kind of gotten away from video games for no other reason than lack of time, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I'd said, oh, man, this would make a fucking awesome <laughs> game. I was thinking you know, the I same think- thing when I was watching, man. I was like, every time you go up a level, you can see the number of the, uh, you know, the floor on the wall because he shows that. And, yeah. you know, everybody, the weapons change the further up he goes. And also, just let me yeah. let me say for the record, I know you're going to say this, man, but this might easily be the most stab happy movie I've ever seen before in my life. <laughs> well, yeah, Silat, which is an Indonesian uh, martial arts form, uh, is is heavily based in knife action, and it is stabby. Like Katie, <laughs> if you're listening and you're you're feeling sensitive, don't watch this film because a, there is a lot. There might be more stabbings in this film. Than the whole genre of Jalo combined. Yeah, yeah. There's more stabbing in this film than a Peter North film. <laughs> or a Captain Stabin film. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Captain Stabin, yeah. <laughs> Doesn't someone actually wear a say, uh, Captain Sailor hat at some point in this film? Uh, maybe that was something else I was watching. Maybe that was something else. <laughs> maybe it was really different. Maybe it was Captain Stabin. <laughs> maybe it was Captain Stabin. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, Sony Pictures Classic, it should be said, put this out. They always do right by foreign films. Like I said, Amadovar, everything they do, they do Asian films right. Yeah. So my hat's off to them again. Um, what does this say? I don't even know what that. I don't even know what that means. I'm not, I don't know. I'm not going to try to extrapolate what that means. Um, so yeah, the film it opens up with uh, Eco Ua. Our, our, and again, forgive me if my pronunciation is is not what it should be with his name. Uh, he it opens up and it, it kind of has a very personal touch. He's praying. He's at home. He's got a pregnant wife, uh, which is a nice little personal touch uh, as far as an action film goes. Because this film at its core has no interest beyond giving the highest possible octane action. So to give it that personal flourish that later on when our character is in, is threatened, it, it adds a little more emotional stake to it an incentive for him. Um, so a nice little touch. Um, I was writing so many notes in this film that some of this doesn't make it's total chicken scratch. <laughs> uh, I for, thought that it's frenetic. It's frenetic. Like the action in this film, man, it's out of control. Yeah, it is. It definitely is. I was stabbing the, you know, paper to pe- pen to paper. Um, <laughs> It, you know, it, and it kind of shows the building before the building, the cops get there. I think there's supposed to be 30 cops uh, that are going to this building. It's like a, you know, at dusk or no, at dawn. And they're going to just take out this uh, this criminal. Um, So they got it. Oh, I don't know what I was going to say. Another thing that's an influence on this film had to be, speaking of Blu-rays, that I think just came out fairly recently. Seems that way. A few people on our boards have been buying it lately. Kelly and I want to say someone else. 
Um, but uh, of course, Nino Brown's crack building that he has in, in, uh, in New Jack City, where like they got like the in-house lab, and you know people are living in the tenement in fear, and it's run by the, the criminals. Total, total New Jack City uh, lift. Yeah, you know, totally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's I mean it's got that really really great introduction um, to our bad guys, to one of the better introductions to bad guys I've seen to really clearly state how ruthless they are when uh, our bad guys have five people on their knees on a plastic sheet and he, he's executing them one by one by one by shooting them in the back of the head and then the last guy they get to him and there's no more bullets yeah. so our uh, our criminal our, our bad guy rests the gun on his shoulder and he goes I'll be right back goes into a drawer it's a fucking hammer and caves the guy's head in. It's uh, just brutal, brutal punishing violence. And the thing I'd said to you off the air was, and I'll keep mentioning it, this film does chaos and um, violence in a way that feels improvised, much like a lot of the Jackie Chan, Sammo Hong stuff did in the 80s. Um, but it adds a level of sort of punishment above and beyond what those films do yeah yeah i agree so i mean let me let me just say for the this is one of the most violent films i think i've ever i've watched in some time it's it's more violent than most horror movies the the things that happen in this film to people are as gruesome if not more gruesome than in any horror movie you're gonna watch yeah i mean it does not hold up on the the violence i mean doesn't let up yeah, it does. Well, yeah, that's maybe the best word. Maybe the, maybe hold up isn't the right word. Maybe let up. There we go. Uh, either way, it is excruciatingly violent. I mean, to the point to where the action is both awesome and cringe-inducing. Yeah, how many times watching you do? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the way he shoots the 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 fight scenes, uh, he he fetishizes obviously the uh, the the right moments and to really mm-hmm. kind of get your goat right. I mean, he really. You know, I've never. This is my first Gareth, Gareth Evans films. I haven't seen Marinto. Oh, we got to do it on the show. I was gonna do. I was gonna drop it a while ago before we did this, but but those uh, miners over at S and G did it, so I thought, well, better hold off for a bit. Yeah, so I haven't seen Marinto, so I don't know. But I, uh, I have. Uh, I, I'm going to check it out now because uh, I'd heard that he's a good filmmaker, and this film, and I, I just, I just kind of waited on him, you know. I just yeah. kind of waited to see, and, and now I'm totally interested in everything Gareth Evans is going to do because this guy is a super talented action filmmaker. Now he, he uh, there are some things that I don't like uh, that he does, but this is super, there's a lot of talent here for shooting action. I I don't think you know, and I think what he wanted to do versus some of the maybe things that um, like if you have a basket and you know he put most of his eggs in the action basket, and because his intent was to put most of his eggs in the action basket when making the film. I, I didn't penalize him for some of the other shortcomings as much as, um, as I could have maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I, I would agree. Now I do want to say too, I think this has the best CGI, the best use of CGI blood since Rambo, like the, the newest Rambo film. Yeah, no, it uses it. Well, I agree with you on that. It's funny you mentioned that because I actually wrote that down too, that the CGI blood didn't even bother me at all. Because he knows when to cut it. He doesn't linger on it too much. Um, I'm going to keep talking. i got to walk away. I think one of my dogs is trying to get into the room by butting their head against the door. 
Nice. And if I don't move, uh, the baby's going to wake up, and then yeah. I'm going to be butting my head against the door. <laughs> so keep yeah, talking. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, I love, you know, when just before the cops get to the building, they're in the like the, the big SWAT truck and um, their their leaders saying, you know, we're going to go and we're going to take this building floor by floor. And it's a very macho um, line. You know, you think about this group of guys and it's like it's sort of that thing of, you know, some of you aren't going to come out of this. And it's it's almost like a a romantic macho notion that these men are going to get into this 30 men are going to go into this building against all odds, this sort of band of brothers, and they're going to take it floor by floor. And I just, I really like that. Uh, you know, you know what else he does really well in this film? And I didn't hear everything you said, but I'm just going to go with this and hope that this is kind of what you, here's where I think Gareth Evans stands above. Here's where I think he could be like a really great act, uh, filmmaker. And that's that he builds tension. Very much so. Very much. So. And he invests you, um, in the moment and he pays off the moment in a way that it never feels like you have blue balls. Yeah. I mean, he really builds tension in this film and, uh, and he does it well. And I was really, it's almost like 25 minutes of foreplay before, yeah. before it really just kind of gives you the, the whole bang. And it's before really an hour and 15 minutes of tantric sex. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it's 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 pretty interesting, and uh, that's where you know you start to see a lot of the sweat. I mean, there's a lot of sweat in this movie. That sweaty film, <laughs> and yeah, and we got to say that the the primary villain in the film, a Mad Dog, um, it looks like the Indonesian Rick James. Yeah, like a more gaunt Indonesian Rick James. Yeah, Yayan Ruhan, Yayan Ruhan, maybe. I believe so. He he's really a heavy practitioner of silat. Yeah, I think he's judo as well. He's he's well versed in. Um, but pretty much all the principals are, are well versed in silat. Um, Gareth Evans plucked uh, Iko Uwe right off the streets, uh, not off the streets, but like off, uh, just being a man on the street working as I think again like a, as a phone like a phone like telecommunications guy or something. So, wow. you know, pretty cool. Um, and speaking of influence, you get a little bit of Michael Mann when they're pulling up to the building. The streets are wet; they're lit up. You know, I mean, everyone does that. I, I don't want to necessarily say it's Mann. Mann just is the guy that kind of popularizes that. But um, yeah, these guys pull up, and I like that when the cops pull up, we know that these guys are, you know, they're badass. A because of what they they're doing, they're going to take this building. But it's like they're not cops per se. They're like they go in, they're all in black, like they're just these messengers of doom. You know, it's mm. it's really good. Like the Bop Squad in uh, Elite Squad, it's all in black. Yeah, which is cool. Um, yeah, and like you said, with tension, I mean, they really build up immediate tension with corners, looking around corners, seeing the building floor by floor feels tangible. Like you said, because we get to see the numbers as they're going up the floors, and it's it, they do a really good job of that. And I think another thing I know. Um, Chris, one of his gripes of the film, our friend Chris Davies Rowan, was that he felt like the action wasn't shot very well. It was muddled. I, I have to say, as much as Chris is always on point with me, I would respectfully disagree with him because I feel like, especially with a film like this, one of the key things is the sense of geography that you need to have with the fighting and where our people are, especially now that they're going to take a building floor by floor. And I never felt lost or muddled with that. I, I agree with you. Um, I also agree with Chris most of the time, but I didn't feel like, you know what, maybe this might be a situation where watching it on a big screen, 
could be overwhelming, but the intimacy seemed to work on me watching it at home. And I never really felt lost. And I, I was always able to find the characters I needed to find. Of course, you know, yes, they were dressed a certain way, but it wasn't like, you know, some Hong Kong films you see, some Shaw Brother films where you can lose characters. Mm-hmm. No, it's true. In, in, in the kind of uh, the pageantry of a great, uh, chore- uh, you know, a great fight. Yeah. This one, this, this one, you, uh, I, I feel like you're, you're on it all the time. And, you know, I think the violence, the uber violence, as I was calling it, because there's so much violence in this film, uh, helps because it's like these little moments of, of, it's almost like, it is almost like sex in a weird way. It's, it's, it's like, you know, bang, 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 you know, the flesh is pounded flesh, flesh is pounded flesh, boom, juicy cum shot, <laughs> blood everywhere. Oh, yeah. Blood, <laughs> elbows, knives, like <laughs> there's a lot of penetration and just pounding and, it's uh, and there's finger gloves. Yes, the whole squad wears fingerless gloves. They know what's up. Yes, they do. Um, you know another influence. I mean, I think it was one of those things because I I, uh, I admired Evan's um, technique and his craft. I started to pick out things that, at least in my head, made sense that would like were little nods to other films or influences. Another influence I picked up was, and I think his name's Mike Shinoda. I can't look into IMDb. I think he's, is he from Lincoln Park or something? You are correct. His name is Mike Shinoda, and he is from Lincoln Park. Okay. He uh, he did the score for the film, and I love the score for the film. You know what the score reminds me of, man? The score reminds me of early Carpenter, Assault on Precinct 13. You know what's interesting? I had no hopes for the score for this film. And Me I'll neither. You, I thought it was going to be kind of extreme music. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, I thought, I thought it was really be, good. I thought it was going to be like Linkin Park. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. But then totally. I, you know, I don't understand that people like Linkin Park and, you know, whatever. That's the, But it's they're not, not really a big band of mine and I'm not a big fan of. So I was kind of concerned that, you know, we got a novice uh, person scoring the film. And I just didn't think it was going to come off quite well. But you know what? He nailed it. He nailed this totally one. Totally nailed it. I'm in total agreement with you. I was really stunned by how much I ended up liking the score to this film. Oh yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. And luckily, the, the blue. There's a bunch of stuff with with Evans and with Shinoda, um, who, like I said, was in a, I was I thought the same thing. I was going to be like some shitty kind of Lincoln Park. And again, no disrespect to, to Lincoln Park fans, yeah. but just it's not really my thing. And um, you know, some people would mock at me for liking Don Shane for my Newton. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, well I, I mean, the, the feeling I have is, let's say Chad Kroger, Kruger from uh, Nickelback <laughs> gets to score like uh, Django Unchained. I'd be like, oh yeah. fuck, what's yeah. this gonna be like? You know. And then he yeah. comes through. That that that's what this felt like to me. Is like I just don't really want to. You know, I just don't listen to Nickelback. I just don't listen to Lincoln Park. They're just not my thing. But oh, Shinoda yeah. nails it, man. He does. He totally does. Uh, but another Carpenter thing, there's a moment when someone emerges from a shadow and it was totally like that Michael Myers moment. Oh yeah. You know, when it's <laughs> like, he just, like just kind of, um, uh, comes right out of the shadow, like slowly reveals it. And it's, uh, it's really good. There's an interview um, with uh, Gareth Evans on the, on the, uh, disc or a scene by scene breakdown, I think. And I watched a little bit of it and he said he got some influence from the film from escape from New York, which is interesting. Because of the yeah, hole, the holes in the that. ceiling and the holes in the walls and people jumping out of shadows. And if you think about Escape from New York, which isn't action-packed, but if you think about it, Carpenter uses that to pretty good effect in uh, Escape yeah. from New York. And like I said, I feel, also feel like Assault on Precinct 13 yeah. had to be an influence, too. Yeah. Not just in the score, but in the film. And you can see that, that gritty Carpenter action really cranked up to 11. 
yes. uh, with this film. And it, it's in so many things. The sound design is great in the film, which, um, you know, I'd heard, I'd seen something with Evans. I, I didn't have much time to watch any extras. I'm going to watch all the extras, but yes. um, it's got good extras on it. It's got a commentary, got some uh, interviews and stuff. It's got good stuff on there. Yeah, it does. It definitely does. Um, it's edited in a way that it feels really tightly coiled and kind of, you know, just aggressive and stuff. It's, it's great. Um, you know, and like I said, the, the palette, the color palette's really good. Um, one of the snipers, there's a sniper in a film, in the film, that they're trying to pick off our SWAT team. And uh, he looked like, I think it's Roy Chung, who was in the mission, the Johnny Toe film. He's been, he was also in Exile. Was he in Exile? Yeah, he was in Exile. Long hair. <clears throat> the kind of like Roy Chung, but anyway, just a minor uh, note. Um, and then there's a pretty chilling moment when they're they're picking guys off. The snipers are picking guys off, and you can hear me okay, so right? Yes, you sound fun. Good stuff. When uh, they shoot a guy, and the, and the one sniper's there, he goes, "Stop! Let him scream for a bit." Because they want to send a message to the, the the police officers, and it's like, oh man! And then a guy gets shot in the fucking eyeball, and this is this is this right. I'm going to say is one of the prime examples of why I think Evans is a brilliant filmmaker. <clears throat> you can have someone get shot in the eye, and you could have the money shot, the blood splattering out, and maybe and even an eyeball hanging out if you wanted to. But um, Evans makes it more visceral by having the the uh, police officer wearing goggles and the goggles filling up with blood yeah 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 just a nice nice touch man um some machete, great machete stuff which i'll get to the bad guy he has kind of i felt like the the main bad guy maybe it wasn't matt was it matt, no, the, the, matt the, 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 andy no yeah. no not andy that's the brother there's like a machete gang oh which is fantastic which yeah. is just fantastic which i'll get to that that is insane but the main bad guy in this he has gravitas like he feels like he you know to be a good bad guy you have to be able to swing your dick when you walk in the room and not be milk toast and the main bad guy in this he feels like he has menace to him yes agreed what you need man you can't be you have to feel like guys are willing to give their life for him whether it's through fear or through charisma and he has that mm-hmm. um and then they, there's another moment when they start announcing, and speaking of the Machete Gang, I have to feel like Walter Hill's a little bit of an influence, the Warriors is a little bit of an influence, because there's even almost like a Lynn Thigpen moment when someone, there are not, there are a few moments when they're announcing on the PA, they're up a floor, they're doing this now, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So, <clears throat> that's cool. Um, and another moment, again, it shows what kind of filmmaker Evans is, uh, some people are hiding in a room and there's the light coming in through the door underneath the crack of the doorway. And then you see that, that light starts to disappear because feet or like a shadow blocks out the light from under the doorway. Yeah. It goes back to his uh, building of tension. Like I said, I mean, the guy knows how to build tension. Really, really great tension. And I'll tell you one of the highlights for me, Phil, in this film, and I could have picked 50 different scenes as my make or break or my make. I'm just going to, I'm not even going to try to be the slightest bit coy anymore. Cause I can't help but fawn over this film. Um, the moment with, and it's done in slow-mo, perfect use of slow-mo in the film, when the the power goes out and the cops are pinned down and there's guys all up around this balcony, uh, that are going to pick them off and shoot them. Well, someone shoots a gun and in slow motion, you see it go off and the little flare goes off. There's just enough light for the, uh, the bad guys to start mowing them down with bullets. 
yeah. that scene was so beautifully executed and looks so fantastic. I mean, it's just, oh, it was, it was really, really well done. Um, someone gets an axe in their trapezius and then they get dragged by the axe in their trapezius. Just, just yes. brutal stuff. <laughs> Um, you know what else it felt like too at times? It almost felt like a zombie, like like a zombie film. Like the guys were penned inside and they were trying to stop like this rabid, you know, these rabid animals from attacking them. Yeah. Well, I mean, it totally felt like a siege or a zombie film in totally. a lot of ways. Except these guys are inside and they're trying to go up instead of out. Yes. Yeah. They're still moving forward no matter what. Yeah. There's a there's an amazing, amazing, amazing moment with a refrigerator. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that's a pretty interesting call, did you? I mean, you know, I, I didn't know what he was doing. I was like, "What is he doing?" I think I know what he's doing, but what's he doing? And uh, finally, he did it, and I was like, "Well, okay, that that works." Does, oh yeah, interesting Does call. <laughs> Does it ever? And then a few times in this film, something really brutal that you you don't really see in American film at all um, is someone gets a knife in the thigh, and then the knife is ripped down their thigh to towards their knee oh, while God. it's in the leg so brutal so so brutal man oh um what's this uh, the, the sound of tearing flesh you so. get that great that's what i'm saying the sound design is fantastic in this yeah. um oh you know what man there, there's the one like the main machete dude like the main like guy in that machete gang he looks like that porn star that um He's got a huge cock. He he used to do all. I can't remember who he worked for. Well, that narrows it down. Yeah. No, he was the guy that was busted. If like, but within the past year, for having all these exotic animals in a van, like snakes and goats and. Oh yeah, Ramon. Ramon, man, he looks like Ramon. <laughs> oh god, it's so sad that I know. That. <laughs> got a different kind of machete. <laughs> but uh, he looks like Ramon. Now there's going to be pictures of Ramon on the Facebook group. <laughs> That's okay. I mean, his gap tooth grin. I, I don't like his gap teeth, though. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> he said, I'll, uh, I'll stick to you, uh, well, the Lauren Huttons versus the Ramones. Um, so, yeah. There's some really good overhead shots, which, again, have that uh, video game feel. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, first kind of came on the scene with Resident Evil and some, some games that were kind of pushing cinematography and, and video games. But the some of the overhead shots in the film work well. They never feel kind of just for the sake of having them. Yes, agreed. Um. Again, uh, horror movie elements. There's moments with the machetes when they're coming through walls, and it feels like a slap. Oh, another Halloween. Oh man, there's so many. Uh, again, talking about tension and horror film influences. There is the scene when Nico uh, was hiding. Let me, let me let me give you time out here. We're starting to lose you a little bit. Machete guys. He's outnumbered. He's outflanked. Everything. And he's in a closet. And it, okay, how's this? Any better? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah it, it's better. There was serious, uh, serious uh, uh, lag there for a minute because I told you that like two, like a minute ago, and you just now answered me. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay, okay, um, and I'm okay now. Yeah, you sound fine now. Okay, good. But another ha very Halloween esque moment. Eco Uwe is out. He's, he's outnumbered. He's run down. He hides in a closet in a in an apartment. Very much like the Jamie Lee Curtis uh, closet sequence in Halloween. Yes, and that scene has is so wonderfully tense because he's hiding in the closet. A machete goes in the wall. It's up against his face. 
Yeah, no, it's good. And the whole time you're like, you're biting your nails. You're just like, my goodness, this again, just to be able to manufacture tension repeatedly throughout a film that is about quick payoffs because of how high octane the action is, is again, a really a testament to Evans. Um, let me see here. The corridor. Yeah. With the corridor fight with eco versus the machete gang. Definitely one of the highlights for me of the film. Again, it's so brutal the way he's turning their machetes on them. He's shooting guys with a gun. And just the hand-to-hand choreography is, is frenetic. It's chaotic. It's uh, it's brutal. And like I said, it's improvised brutality. It feels improvised to me while still being executed perfectly. Um, there's a lot of you know slow pans through alleyways and, and buildings and stuff. And it's... Uh, really 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 fantastic um again some of these notes don't make any sense (laughs) and then i have a note because i felt like being eloquent this movie is so fucking awesome (laughs) that's an actual note i have um oh nice and another thing that's great one of the uh, i think i want to say it's i can't remember if it's one of the bad guys or good guys now someone uh, kills someone by doing honky tonk man's shake rattle and roll to them. Yeah, brother. So that was awesome. I saw that. Yeah, that was really great, man. Um, one of the few gripes I have with the film, some people actually didn't like the fact that there was some shaky cam because people are very burned out on shaky cam as a technique. I feel like in a film like this, it lends itself to it because of the, the tone of the film and the pace of the film. The only gripe I had with it is there are some moments when it is calm when they're still using shaking him a bit, when people are just talking in a in an apartment, and I felt like, well, you know, you need to play off that. If you're in the action, well, if I can see it as shaky, okay, so be it. But you got to have a little more of a still hand with your camera, uh, as Mr. Carpenter will tell you, yes. uh, when you're shooting dialogue. Yes. I hope, Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm hoping that came through okay because it, yeah. it got kind of we got pretty okay. crazy there for a second. But you heard me say about the shaky cam, right? Uh, yeah, off and on, we heard you say something about shaky cam. <laughs> it got a little. You'll you'll hear it when you listen back to the show. Well, and then it's lost you. And that is what happens when you record on phones. <laughs> Hope you guys enjoy the singing. I'm sure he'll call back shortly, so I'm not even going to edit this out. I'm just going to keep going and keep talking, and uh, we'll see what happens here. Where's the uh, infamous Skype ring? Waiting for it. It should come any second now. Once he realizes the call has been dropped. (laughs) Oh, man. There it is. How about that? All right, you're back, huh? Yeah, I'm on. All right, so. so anyway, I was just saying very quickly, because I don't want to press our luck here. Um, the shaky cam used during dialogue moments was uncalled. Like, I didn't really like that. I thought that was one gripe I had with the film. But you know, otherwise, it's okay to use it during frenetic action sequences. Mm-hmm. Um, great line on the back end of, uh, of the film from the main bad guy. Because someone gets revealed to be something that um, he wasn't aware of. And he says, never underestimate the power of persistent paranoia. Yeah. Which, you know, you got to think most guys in his position would have, certainly. 
Uh, a lot of people are thrown at walls in this. <laughs> yeah, a lot, of, a lot of wall usage. A wall usage. And I think one of the great things I take away this from as a fan of film, as a fan of action film, is in this day and age, having seen everything around the world, um, to see several things in this film that I'd never seen done in an action film before. Yeah. That's fantastic. Um, what else do we got here? Shouting murders <laughs> the Zodiac. I don't know. I don't know what that even means. I don't know. <laughs> maybe stabbing. The stabbings feel like punishing at times, like in the like in Zodiac. Yeah. Maybe that's what I meant. Um, the Fincher film. Um, oh man, there's a moment when someone gets like a halogen light bulb stabbed in their neck, yeah. and just the glass crunching in that, like crushing inside their neck. You can hear it. Yes, it's pretty gross. <laughs> it's yeah, it is gross. And I love one of the subtitles in this film. And if people are, and I don't think too many people listen to our show are subtitle averse because, you know, we, we really champion and love world cinema. But if for some reason you are, you can watch us with an English dub. Not that I would recommend that to anyone, but it's there. It's there. Um, it's, it's, one of the I listen to some of it. It's pretty funny. Yeah, I can imagine it would be. I mean, it's not awful, but it just, it's just the voices don't really fit the characters. Typical stuff. Yeah, typical stuff. But one of the great subtitles that that comes up over and over is Bones Crunch. <laughs> yeah, because this, this is a crunchy, wet movie. It is. Um, I, I, I don't know again what that means. So I'm, I'm going to defer to you because we're running low on time, and I'd like to hear your thoughts. All right. I don't have a whole lot to add. Uh, you mean you went over most of the stuff I, I, I think is uh, you know relevant to this film anyway. They do introduce the bad guy really well. I mean, they give him you know that heaviness with that uh, that lineup and the and the gunshots and the hammer. I really dug that, and I really did dig the uh, the strength of the film. To me, is not just the action, but like I said before, it's it's the the strength is is tension. I mean, I wasn't expecting this film to be as tense as it was. I was expecting this movie to be a flat out action movie, which it is. It just it gives me the added bonus of racketing up tension and screwing the you know screwing those screws down nice and tight. Yeah, and uh, that was what impressed me the most about the filmmaking was that he mixed the two together because I've seen good action filmmakers I've seen good thriller filmmakers uh, but you don't always see these two things together in a film and uh, that this is only his I guess second film third film maybe second or third and you know what it is it's because tension is almost um, the exact opposite of action yeah but to be able to combine the two in a way that it pays off is really, you know, a testament. Yeah. He made a film. His first film was called Footsteps. And I think that was his. Uh, but the, I haven't seen that. And I haven't seen Marantel. But this is his, yeah, this is his third film. His uh, fourth film is in production right now. Let me see. It doesn't have a plot synopsis for the fourth film yet. So I, to say. I do want to say Todd Brown, of he, sort of the head honcho at Twitch, he produced the film. So I think, you know, maybe for hopefully, you know, being someone that is, is, you know, as knowledgeable and passionate about film as he is, hopefully, you know, even above and beyond Evans, maybe he you know, was able to lend a little bit of uh, assistance. So. Right. Um, we talked about the violence and how incredibly violent it is and, and the drab look, which it's almost black and white. It's an interesting choice. Um, it did look good on blue, uh, but I mean, again, it's not a color popper, right? It's not the kind of film you... 
It's not the Lorax, right? No. <laughs> no, it's not. Can you imagine the Lorax with this kind of fights in it, though? <laughs> yeah, well, the Lorax is part of the way there because he's got a great mustache. Yes, that's right, he does. So. Um, one of the great lines in the film and probably the most infamous line in the film, it looks like, because it's on the IMDb as well, but I wrote it down, is uh, squeezing the trigger. It's like ordering takeout. And uh, there's a scene where one of our guys says that, which is a great line, you know, don't yeah. like squeezing the triggers like order and takeout. Takes, yeah, takes away all the intimacy man. of the thing because he wants to do the fight. So That's right. Um, but the fight and the act, the fights and the action, I mean, they are super special. I mean, this is one of those films that comes along every now and then. And, you know, you think you've seen martial arts or fight scenes in films. And, you know, you've been there, done that, right? You it kind of reminds me of 13 assassins in a way because that was sword fights and you think, well, you know, how much more stuff can they do with swords at this point? You know, we got 80 years of cinematic history with swords. What more can Mike do? And he, he does some things. And, uh, this is the same thing. Gareth Evans comes along and, you know, you see all these years of action cinema, you know, what more can he add to the punch? And, uh, you know, Eco UA, is that how you say his name? Is that what we agreed on? I, I think so. I think so. He has way more charisma than a Tony Jaa. Oh, way more, man. Way more. And if this guy doesn't end up being a bigger star than Tony Jaa, then there's something wrong. Because I think he's much more interesting as an actor. And actually, well, I'm not going to say a physical specimen because Tony Jaa, even though I don't really care for him charismatically, there are some things he does physically which are pretty fucking insane. I have to admit that he does do some pretty crazy shit sometimes. Uh, that pretty, it's pretty astounding. I mean, there's some jaw dropping moments in jaw films, no doubt. But I'll go with I'll go with him before I go with jaw. I can tell you that. I hope this guy gets uh, huge internationally. I hope he just becomes a gigantic star. Yeah, but you can may have lost you. I'm gonna keep. Uh, there we go. Can you hear me? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> All right. Yeah, there was a lag. I heard you. I heard you start to talk about. Uh, Tony Jaw, and then it trailed off for about 15 seconds of sounds, and then it picked exactly up where it lost. So I knew there was going to be a lag. Yes. Um, yeah. So sorry if I was cutting you off. I didn't mean to. No problem. Um, but what I really see in Evans is style, and he, you know, he definitely knows how to set up action and the geography of scenes, and and we get, uh, you know, the tension that I was talking about earlier. I mean, we're going to get some ace films from this guy. And this is this is a very 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 good film, but we're going to get some. I, I just I have a hunch we haven't seen the best film Gareth Evans has made yet, and that's insane to say. Like that's insane yeah. to say. I mean, this is a this is a rising star. There's no doubt. I haven't seen Marintel. I can only go off of one film, but I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna check out Marintel as soon as I can. But uh, um, you know, just everybody I know tells me to check out Marintel. So, and it's good. It's it's certainly not as good as the Raid. It's a little over long, but. It, you know, you can see the template, right? You can start to see things uh, coming into, rounding into form. Right. So I am looking forward to anything else Gareth Evans does, and he's definitely a filmmaker I'm going to keep an eye on. And this is this was a lot of fun. This is a buy. I'll say that. that, oh. that the last line of my review, yeah. that, this is definitely a buy. Get out and buy it. But, uh, yeah, go ahead and give us your MBTs and stuff. <clears throat> uh, make or break the corridor fight with the machete. I mean, God, this was just like an embarrassment of riches to, as far as scenes to pick from. The make or break scene, just the scene that really made it for me was the one that I was like, my goodness. I mean, this is just out of this world. Um, the seal clap, as to say, was on full, full display here. <laughs> uh, my wife felt like she was at SeaWorld. Yeah, um, I, had the, I had the coin purse flap going on. So. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's nice. Well, Loaf would probably have the electric booty clap. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> oh, man. Him and House, man. Him and Matsuzaka. Um, the MVT, I mean, I could go with so many things. I, I, I got to go with the action. That's because that's what Evans and UA and company really, um, you know, really put that those, their eggs in that basket. So it's the action. The score for me um, is a 9 out of 10. I was kind of waffling between like an 8.5, 8.759, but uh, can you hear me okay? Yeah, you're fine. Oh, good, good. Um, I haven't seen so many of the stuff I've seen in this film, an action film. I, I love film. I love action film. I've seen a lot. And to see stuff I haven't seen, to be as to have as much joy watching a film as I have and to be as excited as I was, like a child watching a film. I mean, remember you get those feelings. When you watch a film, and it only happens a couple times a year, when you, you're genuinely excited and you're just amped up after you watch a film. And then I, I'm thinking to myself, as we're talking about this film now, I kept thinking to myself, man, I wish I had this film with me to watch right now again. Mm -hmm. When you have that joyous experience with film, it really tells you how you feel about it. Um, so I got to go with that. I mean, you know, it's it's as good, I'll, I'll say this now, this is as good an action film as you will ever see. I don't care where, when, how, who. There haven't been very many films in the history of action film that can deliver the goods like this film can. I know that's very lofty. Um, but as far as just, just no frills, no bullshit, delivering the goods with action, this film does it in spades. Nice, nice. Uh, okay, um... My make or break. I'm going to go with the uh, the amount of tension that's built up in this film. It really was the most surprising part of the film for me. Uh, there's some great moments of tension in the film. I mean, just uh, so some 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 really really good ones. And that was the. I knew the action scenes were going to be good. Uh, I had no doubt about that just from the trailer and from what I heard of uh, uh, Evans' other film, or Bo of Marental, I should say. I haven't heard anything about Footsteps, but of Marental. So I knew the action scenes would be good, and I'd heard that from just about everybody, but I didn't know that there was this added element of tension in there. So I really quite enjoyed that. My MVT is going to be Evans himself because I think he's made, well, so far he's made his best film, I guess, but I don't know. Okay. I haven't seen Marantau, but to me this is definitely the Evans film to to talk about right now. Um, my score is just a little bit lower than yours. It's 8.5. Uh, I agree with you, man. This is uh, This is a modern action classic. This is... This is good stuff. I mean, I know some people were kind of, you know, iffy on it and didn't like parts of it. And I can see that. But I, I think this is, if you're into this type of cinema, it, it should be right up your alley. It really should be. It's uh, it's just a lot of, it's a fun movie. No, it's a, it's, uh, it, it's, <laughs> it, it's really well made. And uh, it just, it, it, I don't know. I don't know what, what the word I'm looking for here is. But I mean, I can't say much more about it than that. It's just really well made. It's It's really entertaining. And uh, it doesn't waste any time. I mean, I think every minute in the film is worth... I don't think there's any real downtime. No, and that's what I mean. Like, the, the stuff people can say, oh, well, the plot and, and the characters, everything's kind of threadbare. Well, it's not that movie. It's an action film. It doesn't have any aspirations to be anything other than an action film that delivers the goods. So, you know, it's like saying... Um, uh, you know, that romantic, uh, that that horror film didn't have enough of this or that. Well, yeah, it's a slasher. So let's, let's you know, rate it as a slasher. Does it do what slashers need to do? So, yep. you know. And I, and I agree. I mean, it's, it's, it's like the stabilizer or something like that. It sets its own rules 
And if if you judge a film by the rules by which it sets within that film, this film is great. It's, it's, yeah, and we didn't even really talk a lot about the the, the incredible scene you touched on it briefly with the, the axe and the floor and the the door and I mean that was talk about tension. I mean, oof. yeah, there's so many. <laughs> There's a lot of incredible scenes in the film, but I hope everybody checks it out. I really do. Buy it. Yes, buy it. Support it because films like this need our support. They need our money because I wanted to buy this film and support this film because the only way these kind of films are going to get made and we're going to have nice Blu-rays and nice DVDs of films like this are if people like us buy them. Yes. So if you buy, I would say this, and I'm going to say it. If you buy five films this year, let this be one of them. If you listen to our show and trust what we say, then let this be one of the five films you buy. And I'll tell you what, if you don't like it, I'm sure there's someone else in our community that will buy it off you. Yes, guaranteed. All right. So that is our review of The Raid. Uh, oh, yeah, last question. Would it have been in your top 30? <laughs> oh. <laughs> it, brother, it's, I'll tell you, it's, uh, it's top it's right there man there's two or three films i've seen this year that are right there but this is like right at the top right now this and maybe one or two others oh so you're gonna you're gonna categorize it as this year huh that's a good yeah well because i didn't have access to it it was it was film festival so you got a good point there you got a good point i think it's gunning for that number one spot well i think i'll go ahead and qualify it as well yeah we'll be qualified we might be talking about this later little more eco and gareth all right <laughs> all right so we're going to take a uh, short break after our 52 minute review of the raid <laughs> and uh, come back and talk about videodrome <laughs> come back and talk about some stomach vag uh, yes uh, we'll be back right after this welcome to a night of total terror <laughs> that's mickey mouse's penis They don't look to be afraid. They look to be shocked. Here's the China. It's did you see Miley Cyrus's globulous breath? Night of the Living Podcast. I found more syrup on my pants. Bizarre adventure in fear. There was, however, a guy using a An experience in shock. More shattering than your strangest nightmare. Night of the Living Podcast. Ass to mouth is fantastic. Yeah. Holy shit! That just happened. What's that bad man doing to my donkey? Yeah, Ginger Crab. Night of total terror. I can't maintain this level of ridiculousness. Night. Of the Living Podcast. from a good friend of the show, Scott Burton. That title, that track's called J&B. 
Scott and his band are proper musicians, man. Yeah, good stuff, good stuff. I almost would want them just to be the, the music for the show. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah, and I think, did we mention the last time when we played his music, um, did we mention the link to buy like their album and stuff? I don't know if we did. I don't know if we did. I, I mean, it's been a while. I mean, my memory's about as good as... Mine. Well, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Well, okay, then, Scott, send us in the link to your group again so we can... Yeah, because that's really good stuff. And Yes, I think yeah. people. I think people will dig it. You know, if they if they hear everything, they'll really dig it because there's a lot of good stuff. Oh yeah, and it's very genre heavy. It's very, mm-hmm. uh, very good. No, just uh, well, this is awesome. It's just awesome, dude. <laughs> All right, so our next film is Videodrome. I'll uh, synopsis here since I have access to the wonderful world of the intro nets. Um, let's see here. Rather infamous film. Long live the new flesh. Anyway, here we go. To say that. <laughs> uh, a sleazy cable TV programmer begins to see his life and the future of media spin out of control in a very unusual fashion when he acquires a new kind of programming for his station. Uh, so that is the basic plot synopsis, but it doesn't really explain. Well, I guess it kind of does, but it doesn't really explain the nightmare that Cronenberg <laughs> takes you on with this film. So. I don't know. You want me to take the lead on this one? Yeah, sure. Why not, man? All right. So this film, uh, we interviewed, we interviewed, we reviewed the uh, Criterion Blue, which looks good. Looks very good, I think. Mm -hmm. The DVD looked, yeah, the DVD looked great uh, back in the day. I know that. So uh, uh, I expected the Blu-ray to look pretty good. And it does. This was an upgrade for both of us. I didn't have the Criterion DVD. I had like the one... I can't remember who put it out, but it has like that the, the actual poster cover where Debbie Harry's face is on it, and Max Friend's kind of like, sort of like Han Solo in the Carbonite, like he's yeah. <laughs> kind of coming out of the screen or whatever. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It was an upgrade for me as well, and it, it's a very solid upgrade because this film is a visual feast um, for the eyes to behold and the brain to try to process. <laughs> in the flesh to embrace. Yes. So what I've always liked about this film is the the message behind it. Kind of the uh, the bizarre nature of Cronenberg films in general is, is is he's always has these. He's a horror filmmaker. He's an intellectual horror filmmaker. Yes. Uh, he's an intellectual filmmaker in general. He doesn't make horror films as much anymore. But even even his weakest films have an intellectual message to them. Um, he's just a guy who has an interesting look at things. He just. He looks at things interestingly, and, and typically they involve violence. And humanity's, uh, it seems to be humanity's necessity for violence, in his opinion, I guess. And the, the um, uh, not necessarily the personification, but the, the physical embodiment of violence and the dark nature of humanity. Yeah. So his his films have always they all got this kind of underlying sense of dread and 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 awfulness to them, but you know in a very real way. Even though he uses fantastical elements, right? So it's very interesting the kind of approach he takes. Uh, I got to say though, about I think ten fifteen minutes in this, I go ugh because I see uh, you know James Woods drinking coffee and eating pizza, oh, or somebody's doing that. And this drives me nuts. I, I, pizza and coffee do not work for me. You you say ugh, <laughs> loaf says yum. Oh. Bleh. <laughs> <laughs> I have to give it a well, solo. Actually, I did that the other week with the blue cheese pizza and coffee. That's why I felt awful. Oh, Jesus. I have to give it a silver and gold review. You ready? 
your asshole would give it a silver and gold review. Oh, Jesus. I just don't like to mix. The, this too, I love my lovely coffee and its creaminess and that oregano and, and, and you know, just, uh, I don't know. Just I, don't, I, I agree. It shouldn't go together. Yeah, should Nuts and gum, right? <laughs> so... Um, let's see, we got a, so basically we got James Wood who's run this, uh, cable channel and, uh, it's a, it's a channel that offers softcore porn and hardcore violence. It's like, yay. <laughs> I love that line. I can't remember what, uh, somewhere in my notes. Oh, softcore porn to hardcore violence. Um, and because it becomes sort of the blame game. I think someone's talking about that. I think it's on the talk show that he's on. Yeah. Either he says it or the, the, um, the host says it, but I like that. And I'd love to get a t-shirt with the, the logo of Woods's uh, cable channel. Oh yes, It'd be awesome. Yeah. The uh, but it's funny nowadays when you think about it. Almost it's almost all kind of turned around. It's it, there's a lot of channels out there now. I mean, you got to pay for them, but they offer hardcore porn and softcore violence. So it's yeah. very, it's very strange how the world has changed quite a bit. And I expect you know probably by the time my son's my age, uh, I know this sounds crazy, but and maybe not in the states so much, but I expect at some point in time that you know. Hardcore porn will be even more prevalent than it is now. Man, it's pretty prevalent now. Yeah, it's you can see. Like, I'll tell you what, man. Just to give you an example of how far we got. And this film, I think, one of the the most impressive things about this film is is what Cronenberg was able to foretell, um, and what the message of the film is. But if I can go, if I can um, go on a, a group, the Sylvan Gold group, and see. Probably five pounds of gummy worms come out of a woman's asshole. Hmm. I think it shows you how prevalent porn and hardcore pornography is uh, in day-to-day society. Like, you know, it, it's come so far from the time when, when even when this film was made. Yes, it has. Did you, did you see that gummy worm thing, by the way? I don't want to see it. <laughs> it's probably not for you, even yeah. though Loaf tagged you in it. <laughs> Mother, <laughs> motherfucker. That means I'll that means I'll come across it at some point. That dirty bastard. Oh, it's pretty awful. Uh, anyway, uh, five pounds of gummy worms. <laughs> it's like this, this the most. It's like the largest ball of gummy worms coming out of an, a woman's asshole. No, oh, yeah. not attractive. I don't know how. Who makes this stuff? Uh, anyway, that's for another show. That's yeah. a digression. We don't need to go on. But I'm totally in the mood for breakfast now. <laughs> I'm totally uh, in the mood for a gummy worm. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, but yeah, I think Cronenberg did see the coming of the information age and the and the the kind of media soaked world we've have become. I mean, look at what we're doing here. I mean, we're two guys making a podcast. It's amateur media. It's amateur criticism. Uh, I mean, we've been doing it for a while, but really, it's still amateur. It's mm-hmm. you know, it's just a couple guys that would like to get their opinions out there. And you know, we we just the internet and technology has given us the ability to make it sound somewhat like a radio show, but. The reality of it is, is that anybody now can make a movie. Anybody now can make a podcast. Anybody now can write songs and put them up on the internet. Anybody can do that now. Or can, uh, or in all seriousness, can make a porn film. Yeah, anybody can do anything. If you think about what technology has given us, it's given us the ability to do anything. And I think this is what kills the, the big studios in Hollywood and what makes them so frustrated, I think, and why they attack certain things is because the reality of it is in the next 20 years – that's going to become more and more prevalent. People are going to be looking more and more to, I think, in my opinion, to amateurs, not just for porn, <laughs> but to amateurs for, uh, um, for their entertainment. YouTube, YouTube, YouTube's a great example. 
A lot of YouTube people... has replaced TV for people a lot of time in yeah. terms of channel surfing, and it's that democratization of media that's resulted in an oversaturation that really is is uh, spoken about in this film. Overstimulated. We live in overstimulated times, says yeah. Max Ren. And I think that that's something that like Hollywood and and the music industry and everything they don't really realize when they talk about things that are affecting their income, uh, like piracy and things. They don't realize that. Some of the biggest things that are affecting these these things now are the independent market. People are going to different places for their entertainment, and people feel like they're paying too much for certain things, so they go over they can get it free. I mean, you get our show for free. Let's be honest. You get our show for free, and, and if you're into radio shows and, and podcasts, I get a lot of entertainment out of podcasts, and I don't pay a dime for them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's just the way it goes, and, and there's people that put their songs out there. You can download their songs for free. Um, they just do it for the passion of making music and a lot of people download those and, and uh, there's people that make videos and films and short films and even feature length films and don't charge a dime for them. And, and Hollywood has nothing to counter that with. They never will because you can't counter that. Well, because they're, they're inherently, it's the opposite of what they're doing as a business is they're, they're in the, the business of making money, not giving things away for free. Yeah. And the flip side of that is. If you're in the mood to see the Avengers, well, then you're not going to go to the amateur thing. You're going to go to the movie theater. You're going to go see the big budget spectacle. That's why the big budget spectacle will always exist. It'll always exist because people always want to see money on the screen. Yes. It'll never go away. It never has gone away. For more money shots. Yeah. Well, yeah, there you go. Uh, It's always been there. It's been there since the beginning of time. You can look at films through the the decades, and there's always going to be big budget films and spectacle people want to see because, you know, you can throw money at it and stuff. So I think that... Cronenberg kind of saw this this coming of the information age and how people were going to change with their entertainment. Obviously, this is a dark slant on it, but I mean, some of that exists too. People are more interested in more violent things now. The the the, the type of war coverage we get now, it kind of it's kind of stifling compared to what we used to get. Uh, and the kind of coverage we get on anything now, from Kim Kardashian's ass to uh, to uh, you know a, like that. That story I posted of a child drowning, a four-year-old boy saving another little girl drowning. Oh, goodness. I mean, the amount of media coverage nowadays is overwhelming. And to the point to where sometimes when I read the news websites, and I read them just about every day because I just want to know what's going on in the world, I almost feel like my head's going to explode. Because there's so much information, so much stuff that's overwhelming, so many stories you hear that just kind of either break your heart or sometimes swell it up with pride. But it's just, it's so much. There's so much info out there now. And I never thought I'd ever say this, but it's getting to the point where it's almost like I want to unplug. Get off the grid. Yeah, I want to get off the grid for a while, man. Unless it's like Tron. No, uh, I just, I, I do feel that way sometimes. Though. I feel like sometimes I just want to get away from it all. And, yeah. and I still want to enjoy my films and I still want to listen to my music and stuff. But I, I don't want to read about the latest, greatest thing because I do that so much that sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm passing up the thing that's already great. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm not looking. I'm always looking for the new thing. And, yeah. uh, and, and I think that's what the information age gives us. It gives us this, I got to see that, man. It's new. I got to see. Oh, it's new. I got to see that. I got to see that. You know, and, and, and if you think about it, Woods' character is that person, right? He's trying to push something new at all times. He wants to be really successful, so he wants to change things. He wants to push something new. He's pushing, pushing, pushing. Bigger, stronger, faster, harder, more extreme. Yeah. You know, he starts off with with the aptly titled Samurai Dreams, 
Uh, we have to think Harkin is sort of a nod to the guinea pig series of films. Yeah, and also it has a miniature me in there, a large penis with a samurai costume on, <laughs> a wooden a wooden dildo. Yeah, a very largely headed <laughs> wooden dildo. <Yeah>. Yes, <laughs> very strange looking head on that dildo. <laughs> um, but it's 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 interesting that. Uh, that Cronenberg saw this so early. Uh, and this is where that intellectual side of Cronenberg comes out. Um, he is known as the body horror guy. And is this the first time we've done a Cronenberg film? It is. Um, no. I'm a fan of Cronenberg. I know some of our listeners, like Al, is, like, it's his favorite filmmaker. He's, he's pretty well-loved, and you know for good reason. Um, yeah, he's been a consistent filmmaker through his career. He's done yeah. some different things and stuff, but out of all the quote-unquote 80s brat pack of uh, horror filmmakers... We we talk about Carpenter, whose quality has been pretty consistent through most of his career, but Cronenberg's has been pretty consistent as well. Uh, him I would Car- say I don't like Cronenberg anywhere near as much as I like Carpenter, but uh, yeah. Cronenberg's been more consistent. Yes, yes, and more of an intellectual filmmaker. I think Carpenter's yes. more of a B movie filmmaker. Cronenberg yeah, just high had, end B yeah, movie. He just kind of came from the B movie world, and and you know he's kind of turned that into some other things. He's doing different type of things now, but. I got a feeling he won't get too far from it because he has this motif of of digging the, the 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 body horror that we all talk about, you know, the cancers and the cyst and all these things that are so disgusting about you know life sometimes that you know we the don't human body yeah we we don't want to talk about but I mean that's 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 reality and and this one there's some stuff with cancer that's just fucking disgusting but anyway um the one thing I'll say about this film. I've always had trouble with this, and this continues. And it's my biggest weakness in this film, and and that's Deborah Harry. Oh wow, I completely disagree. Oh man, I don't like Deborah Harry in this film. Do you? Are you a fan of her though, in general? Or yes, no? yes, I, I do like oh, Deborah. Okay. Harry. Like, that's even more surprising because yeah. I think she's fantastic in the film. I think she works perfectly uh, in in a role that that I think often seems larger than it actually is in the film. Um, I think she's the right amount of sexy and mysterious. Um, sexy, I agree. But I think there's an element of mystery and an element of danger to her um, and this sort of dark, uh, menacing perversity that kind of fuels Woods and seems logical if you're in his mind frame. But yeah, just to, to, she, she, that's, yeah, she just doesn't work for me. Uh, the sexiness is there. Yeah, uh, I just feel like her character is kind of weird, uh, and of course, you know, as the story develops, you kind of see why. But I just feel like it's kind of a weird setup. This, you know, so, this helping person. They, they, what she says, like, you do this, lover. You know. And, oh, do you do you feel that is it is your gripe with her as um, as a cog in the machine of the film, or is it with her directly or her performance, or is it the role you think is needless? I think no. I don't think it's an eagle's role. I think that's fine. I think my bigger problem with her is just is just her in general. I don't think the the cog of the machine bothers me either because I understand why it's in there. I just think it's her in general. I just think there's moments where she looks like a deer caught in the headlights, and I just feel like she just doesn't know what she's doing now. And and in fairness to Deborah Harry, she's an amateur actor at this point. Yes. Um. So. I can't say that it's the worst acting I've ever seen. It just it does it. She just doesn't work for me. Right. in the film as she sometimes takes me out of the film um but i do find her sexy and i'd forgotten just you know that she she had the nudity in here and uh i'd forgotten uh and i sometimes do forget this about deborah harry that you know she is a very attractive lady oh um, yeah her, yeah 
young when she was young she was a fox man yeah and um she does uh, she does have a good look and stuff although the 80s fashion she wears while recording her radio show is pretty awesome <laughs> it's pretty you say uh, you said awesome yeah i was gonna say i say awesome <laughs> yeah i think she think <laughs> does she have a skinny rolled headband on she does. It's like a dusty rose or a pink man. It's, uh, it's becoming, she's dispensing advice. It's becoming the thing with the skinny rolled, tight rolled headband, man. Yeah, man. That's it's really, how we roll. really becoming pervasive on the GGTMC. Got to bring mine to, <laughs> to Indy in a few weeks. Yeah. Me and so the wait. wife show up in matching one. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it is interesting how Woods' character is, is hesitant about uh, Harry's, uh, Deborah Harry's character's proclivities. Yes, because I think that is a fascinating aspect of the film. Because a lot of the times we go from when you have to go from voyeur to participant, I think there's certainly some really interesting commentary on what we're willing to consume and view, um, uh, almost um, uh, under the under the the cloud of anonymity, um, or without having to be an actual participant. Much like I think some of our sexual fantasies are things that we like to indulge in our mind but to act out in the flesh is a completely different bird altogether yeah yeah it's true um and you know he goes for it pretty quick once he gets a taste you know it's it's the rabbit hole thing it's the you know the alice in wonderland thing it's i was gonna make a crash joke about her rabbit hole yeah well yeah he goes for the rabbit hole no doubt about that (laughs) while piercing some ears and doing some other things (laughs) Yeah. But he—it's an unsettling scene. It is. It is really is. But it's funny, you know. He just kind of gets into it, and you know, then, and of course, you know, by this point, he's watching this quote-unquote video drone show. So he's pretty interested in this, and the video drone looks like, uh, well, it looks. Let's be honest. You have to think that Eli Roth was inspired a little bit by the video drone footage, mm-hmm. because I see a little bit of hostile there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, uh, not, definitely. Not just in the fact that it's torture, but if you look at the actual characters, the way they're dressed, the way they're torturing these women and these, the, the, you know, the people in these in the video drone itself, and then the fact that they got this wall of clay that's supposedly electrified, which is interesting. Yeah, I don't know how good a conductor clay is, but that's uh, I know really... it's, it's it's bizarre. I don't know what's <laughs> what's going on there, but anyway, uh, it, it's it's interesting that you know he's kind of opening that door to that world already. And then Harry comes along and pushes him over. Now, of course, if you've seen the film, you kind of know what's going on. But, you know, he they, they push him into this world. And it's one of those things where it's really strange because it's almost like people get a taste of that kind of stuff and they can't go back. Um, these The, the kind of darker side of, of pleasure or um, seeking the darker side of pleasure. And Yes, that, that is. But, I mean, it's it, it can be it can be damaging, right? I mean, it can be. I mean, there is studies that prove, you know, you know, watching a lot of pornography and stuff that it gets more and more, the more and more you watch it, the more and more bizarre it seems to get for you. <laughs> of course. It's like anything, when you do something enough, it becomes very vanilla and yeah. you need to push the envelope because a lot of it is about titillation and thrill seeking. And I think I'm even guilty of it. Um, when I had a lot more time on my hands and, and my dick in my hands, uh, I certainly wanted to seek out... Um, stuff that was a little beyond vanilla and uh that that becomes a thing i mean with anything whether it's uh any media we consume like that for certain reasons it, it definitely it becomes a situation where you you need it to be more extreme than the next yeah there are moments in this film that uh, let me let me be 
forthright here. Some of David Cronenberg's visual imagery, I don't get grossed out by gore. I don't get grossed out by, um, and I say grossed out because I'm from the 80s. And uh, <laughs> totally grossed out, dude. And uh, but I don't get grossed out by a lot of things in horror films. But David Cronenberg has always given me the fucking heebie-jeebies, man. <laughs> I think because his stuff's very slimy and wet, which you seem to have an, an aversion or a repulsion to. Yeah, it's that, and it's also the fact that a lot of it's based in reality in some ways. I think you probably wanted to lick James Woods's gun hand. Yeah, oh, the gun hand is gross, man. <laughs> it's so gross, man. Looks like a, a cherry flavored Tootsie Roll pop. Oh, but melted and looks like a cheese pizza rolled up yeah. on it. And it's, it's very phallic. It looks like a penis, like yeah. like like a raw tipped penis is what it looks like. <laughs> I don't know if I ever thought I'd ever say the words raw tipped penis on on the air before. Um, but it's the goopy body horror stuff. You know, he I know he studied a lot of pictures of like you know lymphomas and cancers and you know. Uh, even even the stomach vag, which we joked about, but I mean it's incredibly vaginal. I mean it it's so vaginal. I mean it's it, it's amazing. You know, I mean it it is a vagina. It, yeah. It, the only thing that it, that you don't really see because of the size of it and the detail is you don't see the clitoris itself. But if he could have got away with that, he'd had that fucker dangling right there too, man. Oh yeah, yeah, he definitely would have. But it, it's 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 these moments, these chrono. I mean, and it just starts with simple stuff like rashes. Uh, deterioration of the body, even uh, stuff like uh, dandruff in a Cronenberg film can be disgusting. <laughs> yeah, and the escalation and the 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 tie with mental and physical well being. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Every all his he, he what he's best at always, in my opinion, and what he's always been best at is characters losing their mind uh, mm -hmm. and through physical ailment, and or, and or characters fighting to not lose their mind. Yeah. Yeah, well, they ultimately because of physical. But anyway, we could. Yeah, yeah. But he, there's images in this film that'll stick with you forever. This is maybe some of out of some of the imagery that's come out of Cronenberg's world, outside of the exploding head and scanners, and maybe a couple other things. I'd say this one probably has his most maybe memorable visual imagery. Seth Brundle's yeah. pretty memorable. Yeah, I guess yeah, you could, this stuff's pretty iconic too, though. Yeah, I guess you could argue the the, the fly is pretty memorable and also because it was a big budget hit so yeah you know i guess you could say that you know that is pretty memorable and stuff but this one is the one every time i think of cronenberg this is the first film i think of visually yeah probably you're probably right with the tv with the hand and with his head and the we're going to cover the criterion or the yeah. stomach vag or the yeah. the gloopy handgun yeah or the uh the gun the, hand the, the 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 body of the guy after he shoots him with the gun hand and yeah. the kind of the the Rick Baker. Well, it looks like oh. it looks like a Rob Bottin thing almost, but it's Rick Baker this time around. Yeah, and I, I'm glad you mentioned that because Rick Baker does some really good effects work in this film. Um, and you know, in, in hindsight, now thirty years later, does it, some of it look very obvious? Yeah, but you can still see the craft that went into it. And uh, you know, one thing I think that we often overlook—not you and I specifically—but I think people tend to often overlook—is how. In tr how tied good editing is to good special effects. Knowing when to cut, when not to cut. Because there's some stuff in this when they cut um, to the stomach vag and to Woods, you know, pulling his hand out or putting it something in there or scratching it or doing something or whatever. Just the ability to edit it in a way that makes it seem real without exposing it by lingering on it too long is something that I don't think enough people talk about. Yeah, I agree. 
the uh i mean but all the little cronenberg small i mean a living tv now he he he, mm-hmm. he could have just done the tv pulsating could have just done the tv breathing mm-hmm. but he takes it that one cronenberg step further which is to show veins within the tv which is oh yeah that that's the cronenberg step that's always the cronenberg message is that flesh is alive and it, it it can mutate and it does all these things so that's that's what I've always liked about him. But some of his films, man, some of his stuff, like the, some of his moments in The Fly, that totally grossed me out, man. I mean, so it's fuck. Oh, that's a slimy film. <laughs> I know. And he just there's this films and The Brood. There's a couple of little moments in The Brood that this oh are fucking foul. I, I love The Brood. <laughs> yeah, I know I do too. But it's just there's some foul moments in there. Oh. <laughs> but uh, also, you know, you know what's interesting this week is these two films. The scores are similar in a weird way. Uh, yeah, very, yeah. Howard Shore the score for this one. Yeah, and they're both very electronic. And yep. uh, I'd forgotten how much I love the score to Videodrome. Yeah, the score is really great. It, it is really great. It's really of its time, and you know it does work quite well, uh, especially when you think of how this film is about technology, and this is a synthy score, and there's some synthy stuff with some kind of organs or more reverent sounding. Uh, stuff to tie in it's really faint quite quite good yeah it is it's really good and it really sets tone and atmosphere uh for the film um it just really has this great feel to it and this film already has a lot of atmosphere and tone to it anyway but then the music just gives it that extra punch um i don't have i mean i've talked a lot about the message behind the film and i i could talk for hours about that but i don't have a whole lot more notes because we are going to run short on time and i want to get you to get your bid in but I will say that, uh, you know, Andy Warhol called this film the Clockwork Orange of the 80s. And uh, although I don't think it's as similar to Clockwork Orange as Andy Warhol may have thought, no. uh, I do feel like it is one of the great transgressive cinema statements of the 80s. It is, uh, yeah. it is interesting what Cronenberg was trying to put forth and how much of the, the, uh, the future of entertainment he kind of saw and the future of uh, media and the power of television and uh, and there's a lot of really great philosophy with the dr oblivion character mm-hmm. with how the the tv is the the retina of the mind's eye yes yeah, a wonderful line i was going to mention and the you know the way that you know that character will only be seen if it's through a television almost yep. as if to say that people don't really pay attention to you unless you're on television that's right and there's a lot of talk about that like oh my television name yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, here we are. We got internet names now. You know, you That's think right. about, it, you know, it's evolved. Now we have internet names. We have gamer tags. We have Twitter names. That's right. You know, we've we've evolved into these other characters and other parts of our char- of our being, uh, you know, kind of put in based forth. in technology. Yeah. So, it's it's very interesting how much of that he saw. Mm-hmm. And just how poignant Videodrome is after all these years. That that's, that's yeah. That's really my my last note. It's just how poignant this film is and, you know, of course, long live the new flesh. Yes, indeed. Uh, it's funny how we've come full circle from Eribato to this now. Yes. Which uh, the, Eribato was a big influence on this. And when you go back and see this, you can see that, how it would be mm-hmm. uh, an influence, certainly. Um, I love the packaging for this Criterion Blue because when you take it out of the box, it's like a the beta tape, and on it it says, Long Live the New Flesh. Yes. Which is great. The breathing beta tape disturbs me as much as the stomach veg. <laughs> yeah, because there's the sound design to go with it, and it feels very tactile. That's so about to pulsating, about to come, almost like it's going to burst. Yeah. Um, you know, this I, I have to say, there's a certainly, a, certainly a large uh, a part of me that that swells with pride that Cronenberg, you know, being Canadian, um, 
that comes with that. And I, I love the fact that he unabashedly um, bases his films in Canada, in Montreal and in Toronto. This one takes place in Toronto. And Uncool Cat actually lived in, I think, the same building as as uh, Max Ren did. That, I think it's that explains a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It absolutely does. It explains why he wants me to lay on his stomach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it definitely does. It definitely does. But this was a time I think too when I look at this film, it's it's of an era when TV for me I I was young. Um, you know, in the early 80s and TV seemed exciting and to have this 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 boundless kind of mystery and possibility to it yes and just just the the glow i think it was the name of the the um the, the, not the hostel the uh the, not the convent it was a cathode ray i don't know whole i don't know what it's called but the just the glow the, the church or whatever the church of the cathode ray or whatever it's called they but, call it the cathode ray something i can't remember what they call yeah. it but just that warming glow of of the tv screen harkens back to a time for me like when this film was made it brings back a lot of memories of let me, possibility let me ask you a question just out of curiosity a personal yeah. question on the air mm -hmm. how often is the tv on in your house and nobody's really watching it uh it depends if my wife's home or i'm home um yeah, I I would say there's at least probably a couple hours a day because yeah. if I'm making dinner, I'm upstairs. Sometimes we forget to turn it off; it's on, or yeah, you know, well, sometimes that's the way it goes. I'm a kind of guy who you know I, I like quiet. So if I'm home by myself, like I and unless I'm watching TV, the TV won't be on. Yeah, that's generally how I am too. But my wife, on the other hand, and you know, this is no fault of hers. This is just the way she operates. She, when she's like getting ready for work or when she's cooking or when she's doing anything else, when she's doing the dishes or even running a vacuum cleaner. And not to say that I don't do any of those things, by the way. It won't sound like a fucking pig. <laughs> <laughs> I just said like every female thing a female is quote unquote supposed to do from the 50s. Uh, well, she's making my steak. Steak and milk. Yeah. Anyway, uh, no, uh, but she likes to have the TV on for background noise. She yeah. says it keeps her or keeps her head clear to have that noise. She don't even know what's on. She doesn't even care. She just likes the noise. Yeah. So it's interesting to me always when I meet people that dislike the noise. And I meet a lot of people like that. I meet a lot of people that don't go to sleep unless the TV's on. I used to be that way. Yeah. And then as I got older, I liked the silence more. But yeah, it's certainly that's that warm embrace, the glow of the TV. It yeah. envelops you a little bit. It, that's why I was asking the question. In it. Yeah, that's why I was asking that question because it is kind of what he's kind of, I think, putting forth there, right, is the TV is comfort. It can be... It can be good, but it can also be bad in, in heavy doses, right? So. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, too, this is when cable was really starting to blow up and satellite dishes. And I remember, you know, the satellite dishes, but this is before the world was much more connected than it is now. Um, in the 80s, you and I couldn't have done what we are doing right now. And the thing of it was, I remember having going to a family friend, uh, family friend who had a satellite dish. Even my dad had him for a while, and that, you know, that as the satellite was turning, and yeah. the world seemed to get a little bit smaller. But it was very exciting that I would be watching in Canada. I'd be watching MTV, and yeah. and or I'd be watching Spice when my friend's parents weren't home, and you know, just all this stuff that seemed very exciting and and otherwise just so far away. Satellite TV was like the beginning of. Of, of piracy in some ways you would you would go out and you would try to find things that you couldn't get any other way and satellites yeah. offered you that opportunity because you could just fiddle around with them until you could come across something that you'd never seen before that's right that's right 
Um, I love when Max, when he's watching something and he critiques this having too much class and it's too soft. And it's like, again, that need, that push for something more extreme. Um, I'm going to try to really pare these down here because we don't have much time. Uh, uh, I'd be interested to think what Cronenberg would think about the modern. I'd, I'd like to see his take on the internet now. Yeah, well, he, there's a pretty good interview over on Film Junk where he just slams superhero films, and you know it's uh, it's pretty it's a good little interview. But um, they got it from I think Joe Blow or something. Yeah. Um, one of the the notes I really like is how Max talks on the, when he's on the talk show about this the the content he puts out and how there's almost no production cost to it. And again, that comes back to the democratization of of media and not just media but porn and how that's looked at at the back end of Boogie Nights. And how it enables anyone with a camera and the will to do something, to do it and to put it out there and to put their words out there, just like we do every week. We put out in in audio format uh, our thing, yep. um, and just the the I like the the time with sex and violence, the needles through the ear that slowly and it's very unsettling to me, and just the sounds with the panting and the flash and. It's uh, it's pretty great, and there's a poster in his office. I want to say for Screamers, which I think is um, Island of the Fishmen, which is a um, oh, not Fergasso. It's uh, not Damato. Who the fuck is it? It's one of the lower end Italian. Is it one no, of the lower end? Not lower. Not lower end in my world, buddy. It's Martino. Oh, that's right. It was Martino. <laughs> anyway, but that poster is very. Um, uh, like it's very memorable to me. From I remember that VHS. Because I remember the guy's pants, him having pants on with the belt buckle dangling and being just unsettled that this guy had like no flesh. It's uh, just a minor aside, but um, um, yeah, just you know, just the need to streamline and mainline things. And I like how, and I want to say anyway, because we don't get to do review another James Woods films. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, you sound fun. Okay, Woods to me is one of the great unsung actors of our time. He, there is no actor. In the past thirty years, that I, don't, I I feel he cannot run with in a film. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. He, he is an incredible actor. He is, and uh, he's always been known as the the uh, he he plays the sleazy characters maybe better, perhaps better than any actor in the history of cinema. Uh, yeah, outside of maybe Timothy Carey or somebody like that. But anyway, he uh, he's also a very good leading man, and he's uh, he's just a good actor, man. He's always been a solid. Uh, well, actually, no, he's a great actor. I'll, just, I'll, just, I'll say he's a great actor. He's not a good actor. He's, he's a great actor. Sleazy and compulsively. You have to watch him despite him being sleazy. Mm-hmm. And he's got character uh, He's got character looks as opposed to cinematic good looks, right? That's right. And apparently he's got a hog down to his knees. Yeah, that's what I hear. And uh, he's not afraid to show it to the females that he works yeah. with either uh, in the past. Good on him. <laughs> um, oh, I like, too, the, the, the line that someone critiques it as it's just torture and porn, no plot, which a lot of times when you look at some of the, again, the, the democratization of, of horror film, some of these films like slaughter vomit dolls and all this bullshit, that's what those films are. They take away all the filler and, and in their world, it's all killer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
like I said, I have a lot more notes, but I really we don't have the time uh, for it. Cronenberg um, always gets great mileage from Canadian and American character actors in his films. They, they don't really get too many bad performances in his films. I know you felt differently about Harry, but in my um, opinion, a lot of smaller actors he gets really good performances from. I, I like everybody in the film. Uh, just her, for some reason, she doesn't work for me, and she never has. So it must just be something that's always been there. And, and that's not to say anything bad about Harry, because I have seen her in other films that I like her quite a bit in. Right, right. Um, the helmet in this, like the VR helmet's pretty pretty wild. You saw that a lot in films like um, Brain, was it Brain Scan? Not Brain Scan, Brainstorm, the one with Natalie Wood and Christopher Walken, the VR film. Oh, yeah, yeah, the Douglas Trumbull film. Yeah, pretty good little film. It was Natalie Wood's last film, that's actually. A, that's a, I know uh, from uh, watching the DVD a long time ago, that's Cronenberg inside that helmet that's sitting there. No way. Yeah, you can see, if you look closely, you can kind of see his, his he's got a very distinctive face, David yeah, Cronenberg. does. So if you look closely, you can kind of see his lips and his nose a little bit. You can tell it's not James Woods. It's pretty cool. Oh, wow. But I think you look at films like that, even Looker, which we did in the show, sadly you couldn't partake in the discussion of, and how technology technology um, really is able to guide uh, human impulse. Yeah. Right? That's that's the big thing. and. Um, Let's see, you can hear the bird. Um, <laughs> it's awesome. What else do we get here? Uh, the, I love the, uh, the, the lighting in this film, how it has this artificiality with sort of the gels they use in certain spots. Um, again, sort of like the glow from the TV. Um, it feels really nightmarish towards the back half of the film, which is certainly intentional and works well as, we, as Max Ren slips further and further into the world of the Videodrome. Yes. Um, the, the scene at the end uh, with the TV, what, what Max Ren witnesses before he he um, he does is very chilling to see him see it and then to see him do what he just saw. Nice. <laughs> it's a very, very chilling uh, chilling moment. Yes. So, yeah, and my last note was long live the new flesh. So yeah, Everybody wants to say long live the new flesh. Yeah. But, you know, it's kind of become synonymous with Cronenberg, just the long live the new flesh line, so... Uh-huh. You know he's kind of become his thing, and and what he's all about, and uh, you know he's just been focused on body horror and and just horror in general. But I don't think it's so much that they, you know, I think we say body horror and stuff, but I think he's just always been interested by the frailty of humanity and how easy we can be destroyed. Yes, he's interested in body horror. We're a little more interested in body rock. Yeah. <laughs> Although I think he would dig body rock if he saw it. Yeah. No, he don't like Absolutely. comic book films, but hey. I'm so, you know, well, you know, it would be great in this day and age with all the triple X parodies. You know, the tagline would be "Long live the new flashlight." <laughs> yes, yes, I'd, I'd be interested to hear his opinion. I mean, because his opinions are always good. I mean, you might not like his opinion on superhero films, but if you, I just read that quote from him. Mm-hmm. If you read that, though, you can't argue against some of the points he's making in no, there. No, you can't. Well, it's I mean, very fair. It's, it's very fair. He's an intellectual guy. You may not agree with his opinion, but there's certainly some. There's, it's they're not unfounded kind of rantings from a dummy. They're yeah, and I think sometimes, obviously, because it's probably hard for David Cronenberg to get a film made. Mm-hmm. I think obviously, you know, if you read that quote for him on that uh, on the film junk or um, Joe Blow, wherever you want to decide to read that article, I think you get a little bit of uh, you know, there's a little bit of sour grapes there, probably yeah, because yeah, he he yeah, can't get fair. the money. You know, he can't get the money to make the films he wants to make because they don't make movies like that anymore. And I long for David Cronenberg intellectual films, but sadly, they're few and far between now. And it's yes. just that's just the modern market of movies. I, I would like to think that he could still do it, um, but 
you know, unless he's willing to work with very little money, like a lot of directors. That's the funny thing about directors. They'll complain, but, you know, like the further they go up, but, like, you know, they don't want to complain too much because they're afraid they won't get the money, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's very strange to me. And they want to get that money, you know, they, 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 they bitch, but they would love to have $200 million. Oh, yeah. So that's the way it goes. Uh, okay, uh, my make or break. Uh, I'm going to go with the, the, the special effects in general. Of course, you know I love these special effects. I love the uh, the you know the real rubber practical effects, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and they work great. And uh, I love all of them in this film. They're really good. Uh, the gun, the the way that gun goes into his hand and his arm is oh, so it's so gross. Really good. It's really good though. It looks really good. <laughs> it does. It does. It looks really good. And uh, Woods does a good job of. I, I know there's a infamous quote from Woods that he had that uh, the stomach badge put on him. And some other things with the hand and stuff. And he said that he'd never work with special effects again because he just could not stand that feeling of having something glued to him. Uh-huh. And, of course, you know, if you know anything about special effects, you know that they are take a long time to put on. But they can also be, even back then, or especially back then, they can be incredibly painful to take off because uh-huh. uh, they're really tugging at skin, taking layers of skin off because that glue's really on there tight, so... But he said that he didn't. He would never work. With, I don't know if he has, but he said he would never work on to him to this extent again. So, and I don't think he has, to be honest with you. Outside of maybe some some punching wounds or some gunshot wounds or something. My MVT for this one. This is pure Cronenberg. This is this is his thing. This is his baby. A lot of his films are this way, but this one feels almost like the most personal to me. Outside of maybe Shivers and maybe. Uh, no, no, I think oh, the brood. I think is pretty personal. Yeah, the brood's pretty personal too. I think we're going to be talking about the brood sometime soon. I'd yeah, like to. I, no. As a matter of fact, I know we are because it's a listener pick. So good. That'll be fun. Uh, it'll be fun to revisit and watch me get skeeved out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Art Hindle puts in a, a pretty good performance for Art Hindle. So yeah. hey, Art Hindle, man, Canadian treasure. Yeah, I'm on. Uh, <laughs> but this is pure Cronenberg, and I love Cronenberg, and I love this film. Uh, my score for this film: eight point seven five out of ten. Nice. I've loved this film from the first time I saw it because it blew my mind. And uh, watching it again on blue, it blew raid my mind uh, <laughs> all over again. It's still a very deep, intellectual, and thought-provoking film. And uh, I do wish that uh, there were more filmmakers like Cronenberg working in the horror genre because I think oh, the yeah. horror genre, and I think genre film in particular, can say a lot about modern society that, and, and a lot about where we're headed. And I don't think a lot of it does that anymore. I think nowadays yeah. a lot of it's about, you know, shock, which maybe maybe it is saying something because our society seems to be infatuated with shock nowadays. Still. <laughs> well, that that's what I'm saying. Is it's it's just too much titillation. There's not enough cerebral or or commentary, intellect on our film nowadays. It's who can do the gross out, the splatter, the this, the that. Yep. Um, I gotta hurry up because my connection seems to really be breaking up. Make a break. Um, the scene with Harry and Woods making love with the, the ear piercing and stuff really unsettling, and it's a it's it puts in tandem the, the the pain and the pleasure of uh, of what the whole mantra of her character. MVT. Um, I, I wanted to go with Woods, man. I really did. Uh, in fact, I am gonna go with Woods because I know coming down the pipe, you know, full disclosure here, column I shot early on, I will go with Cronenberg for um, the Brood. Um, because it is a more intimate vision of his that was realized and put on film. Um, I'm I'll, pro- I'll, probably end up, I'll probably end up going with Reed. <laughs> <laughs> um, but 
uh, yeah, I'm gonna go James Woods. It's uh, a good choice. Yeah, I just think he's so good in the film, and you know he's engaging and stuff. Uh, score of the film a little bit lower than yours. It's an eight point two five out of ten. Really, is a quite a fantastic film, though uh, worth a buy as well. It's a good special, a good uh, loaded disc, and um, and that's it. Um, unfortunately, I don't have time for pleasantries because uh, right. I'm. Uh, I have oh, no. Okay. I have no My idea. Head. Oh, okay. I have no idea what we're doing next week, and. It's, Sorry, hang on. Am I supposed to be looking or not looking? I'm. I'm okay, I'll. I'll pretend it's um, a candid shot. I'm just. <laughs> Sorry, my aunt's always taking pictures. Oh, okay. <laughs> you, you were saying about. I was um, hope. I was hoping it wasn't something else. Like it's like somebody walking around nude or something. Am I supposed to be looking or not looking? <laughs> I was saying that I don't really know what we're going to do next week right now. We're probably going to do a listener's uh, pick, probably, but uh, I don't have the email up, and we'll we'll fiddle around here for another 10 minutes if we try to do that. So just look to the Facebook group, and we'll let you know what we're doing next week. And my yeah, son's waking. Time. My son's screaming, so it's time for me to go as well. <laughs> okay, cool. All right, so that is the show, everybody. I hope everybody enjoyed. Thanks, Diabolic DVD, as always. Go over there and get your hard-to-find genre needs. And uh, that'll be it. So I'll say adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. 